Hey, what's up? And thanks for listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. I'm the host, Aaron Dodson. Psalm 119, verse 34, best describes this podcast. The psalmist wrote in the long ago, Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it. This is a a continuation of the theme that I do usually once a week, striking contrast. In this episode... I'd like for us to consider uh, examples of forgiveness and examples of worship. From the pages of the New Testament, we learn that forgiveness is found only by Christ, through Christ, and in Christ. And we learn from Christ and the apostles and the writers of the New Testament books God's guidelines, God's commands, God's expectations, God's conditions for penitent believers who live on our side, we might say, our side of the cross. People who lived prior to the cross lived under a different dispensation, under a different code, under a different arrangement. We today live by the gospel arrangement the new covenant arrangement but yet in religious circles today you will find many who go to the old testament to seek validation for omitting water baptism in their teaching regarding salvation and they'll make arguments like well Moses wasn't baptized Abraham wasn't baptized David wasn't baptized and all of these individuals died right with God and on the surface that may sound good but those individuals lived under a different law under a different arrangement a different covenant and so we need to look at the examples and the commandments of forgiveness that are recorded after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, starting at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, not before. Now, let me pause there for a moment and say that does not mean that there is nothing that we can learn from the examples of godly men and women who were saved, who were right, who lived right, and did right under previous arrangements, under previous covenants of God. That does not mean that. I'm going to mention an example in just a moment for uh, illustrating that. But let's consider one other, uh, by way of introduction, I guess, one more um, subject that's often uh, appealed to uh, incorrectly, erroneously, sincerely, but with faulty premises, with, with the wrong idea in mind. From the pages of the New Testament, you would learn Christian worship, worshiping in spirit and truth according to Messiah, according to the teachings of the apostles and prophets of, of the Christian era, the Christian dispensation. But yet, in Christendom, in the religious world that professes to be Christian, what many people call Christian denominations, which is uh, an oxymoron, it's not a good combination of words there, But nonetheless, people consider denominations Christian. You'll find among those individuals and among denominationalism, 
an appeal to worship practices under previous dispensations, under previous eras, under previous previous codes or covenants, instead of an appeal to the new covenant and the new covenant alone. Now, so let's let's go back then and let's look at these two things. So, the pages of the New Testament teach that we are to follow the examples of forgiveness and worship that are commanded and recorded after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, starting at Pentecost, not before. But among professing Christians, among denominationalism, you'll hear people uh, reference the thief on the cross and say, well, he wasn't baptized. That means today we don't have to be baptized. Or Moses, Abraham, etc. And... Regarding worship, you will hear individuals say that David used mechanical instruments of music in worship, so we can. You'll hear those two. That's two of the most common, most prevalent ideas among Christendom today. Let's consider forgiveness. So Abraham, Noah, Moses, Elijah... And all the people who lived from Adam until the day of Pentecost would not have been commanded or expected to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because that was a charge, that was an instruction, a command that was given after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. So we can't say, well, Abraham wasn't baptized, so I don't need or have to be baptized. Moses was saved without being immersed in water, so I don't have to be immersed in water. That's, that's, that's a bad argument, bad, bad reasoning. They lived under a different arrangement. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, everyone from the time of Abraham forward were descendants of Abraham. That is, they were of that nation, the Israelite nation. And they were physically born into that covenant and taught the parameters or the instructions, the commands, the precepts of that covenant. We can't look to that covenant and say that we can be, uh, that God wants us to do the exact same thing to be saved today that they did then. That's, those, are, those two things are not equal. What we have in the New Testament, not only in the Old Testament was it, was it foreshadowed, but the New Testament is very clear. For example, the letter Hebrews is very detailed regarding how we now live under the new and living way, the new arrangement, the new covenant. Hebrews chapters 8 and 9, I would encourage you to read very carefully, showing that God had this in mind and this was His fulfillment. And God took away the first to bring about the second, Hebrews 8, verse 7. And also, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number, let's see here, 9. It was symbolic for the present time. What was? The things under the old system, verses 1 through 7. The Holy Spirit indicated 
that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made obvious or manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It, the Old Testament covenant, and particularly the, the tabernacle, the holiest of all, and the most holy, the holy and the most holy, rather, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Uh, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances impose until the time of Reformation. Folks, we live in that time of Reformation since the days of Messiah. But Christ came as high priest. See the contrast? He is that Reformation. And it tells us in verse 15, He is the mediator of the new covenant. Verse 16, For where there is a testament or a covenant, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament or covenant is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He goes on to talk about more in detail some of the things of that new covenant in chapter 10, including worship and access to God via worship, via Christ. So we live under the new covenant, and the sacrifice of that covenant is Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. So we listen to Jesus, and we listen to the apostles, because the apostles were the one, the ones who were given all truth by Christ through the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. And he brought to their remembrance the things that he had taught them, John 15, 26. Excuse me. And so what the apostles were guided in, all truth, they spoke it and they wrote it down. And we have that. That's the volume of the New Testament books. We take them in their totality. And we learn that the old was fulfilled and the new is now the law by which we must live. We are not of the physical nation of Israel. We do not live by the Mosaic Code of the Old Covenant. We live by the New Covenant. We're amenable to it. And so we don't look to Moses to know how to be forgiven. We don't look to Elijah to know how to be forgiven. As Jesus uh, excuse me, as the Father said on Mount Transfiguration, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him, Matthew seventeen five. We need to hear Jesus regarding forgiveness. And the words of Jesus are very clear regarding forgiveness. We are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to observe all things that He commanded the apostles. And we are to believe and be baptized, Mark sixteen sixteen. We are to be a people who believe that Jesus is Christ, John 8, 24, and a people who repent of sins, Acts 17, 30, Acts 2, 38, and confess Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and penitent believers who are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, 
Romans 6, 3, and 4, so that we might rise to walk a new life, buried with Christ in baptism. So we contact the saving merits of Jesus' death and that which contacts us with his death, baptism. And so we look at the examples and the commands that are given by Christ and the apostles for the early church and for us today. We don't look to the old covenant system for how to be saved. And the same concept is true for worship. David was a godly individual who lived under a different system. We do not need to go to the Psalms and other places to learn the particulars, the specifics of the mechanics of worship today for the church. That doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from David and from his worship in the old. We can learn much. But as far as what God wants under the covenant under which we live today, we do not turn to David. We don't, we don't turn to Psalm 150. We turn to Christ and the apostles and we learn. Interestingly enough, when Christ was in his earthly ministry, he himself went out with his disciples on the eve of his death and they sang a hymn. Matthew 26, 30. Now, I'm not saying that that's a command, but it's interesting that that's recorded. What also is recorded of the early church, Acts 2, verse 42, that they continued steadfastly. That means they, con they continued in a devoted way to the apostles' teaching, their doctrine. So we, we must peruse, and not only peruse, but dig deep into the letters, and into the book of Acts so that we can learn how the early church worshiped. We read of uh, Paul and uh, Silas singing and praying uh, at midnight in a Philippian jail, Acts 16.25. We read verses, for example, uh, in Romans, which were prophetic of Messiah to come, that Messiah would sing to God's name and Praise the Lord and laud God and all these kinds of things, Romans 15, 10. As we continue through the, these letters seeking what has God given or what did he give to the early church, we take note of Ephesians 5, 19, how instead of being filled or drunk with wine, we're to be filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. So they're to speak and sing and make melody in their heart to the Lord and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So there we have a command, not just a record of fact, but a command of the church to sing, to speak and sing. Nothing there about playing. We have Colossians 3, 15 through 17. We're to let the peace of God rule in our hearts to which we are called in one body and be thankful. We're to let the word of Christ richly dwell in us in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So it does matter what we do in worship and what we do as Christians. We need to follow the guidelines, the authority of Christ in the Word. 
We're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and we're to do that by teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are different categories, if you will, or different words to describe religious songs, songs that have biblical themes and meanings and words. We're to sing, and we're to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, Colossians 3. 16. And I can continue as you move forward. They may, there may not be many verses. There's James 5.13. If, if we're married, we're to sing. It doesn't say play an instrument. It says sing. And then Hebrews 13 tells us this. Therefore, verse 15, by him, Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But we do not forget, but excuse me, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So again, looking through the New Testament books, the letters, we learn that God's instruction regarding music is to sing, to speak and to sing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Dear listener, I assure you. From reading through the Old Testament, if you have read through it before, or if you've read some of it, and reading through the New books, the New Testament, the New Covenant books, if God had wanted us to play mechanical instruments of music while we sing religious songs, He would have instructed us to do so. Perhaps we would have a record of the early church in the book of Acts or another letter of the canonical books of the church doing that, but we don't. And we are to not go beyond what is written. We need to stick with what is written, 1 Peter 4, 11. We need to stick with the instructions of God. We don't need to add to it, take away from it, or modify it. There are many principles throughout God's Word where God said this. Deuteronomy 4, 2, Proverbs 30, verse 5, Revelation 22, 18 to 20, and other passages. Galatians 1, don't change the gospel. So if God instructed his people then to sing, then we need to take up the mantle and do what God said, sing. Not other things, sing. We need to sing. We don't need to add instruments of music. There is nothing to which a person can point in the New Testament that would give them clear-cut wordage or clear-cut reason, clear-cut proof that God actually wants individuals to use mechanical instruments of music. So, we need to follow the examples of forgiveness and worship that are recorded after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, starting at Pentecost, not before. Somebody says, why Pentecost? What's the big deal? Because this is when the gospel, for the first time in its complete fullness, was taught after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the church was being set up and established on earth through the apostles. And then through the preaching and teaching of the apostles and the letters and books, he instructed them how to be saved and how to worship. We have those guidelines in the 27 books. We do not need to go outside of those. We need to stick with the gospel. Not the Mosaic law, but the gospel. The gospel is for us today the old testament the law of moses the old books that was for them in the past i want to say a few words before i close this out about the thief on the cross that is the penitent thief 
that wanted to go, uh, that wanted Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. I think this account comes from Luke 23. I want to draw out a few things very quickly about this penitent thief that we need to emulate. Sometimes uh, in the church we'll say we can't be like the thief on the cross. You can't be saved like that. Let me let me show you a few things. There are certain things, particularly water baptism, that we are to participate in that we do not know for sure if he did or not. But what matters is what we do after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because we know that the Old Testament has been fulfilled, filled full, and its authoritative power taken out of the way. Colossians 2, Ephesians 2, Hebrews chapter 8 and 9, the book of Galatians, number of examples. Luke chapter 24 Notice this, verse 39 through 43. Here are some ways in which we need to copy or mimic the penitent thief. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed, spoke against Jesus, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the others answering rebuked him, saying, Don't you even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man, he's speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, but this man has done nothing wrong. You see that? Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, remember. Excuse me. The penitent thief said, remember. And Jesus said, I'll remember you. Why is it? Let me make this case briefly. This man, all likelihood, was a penitent Jew under the Old Covenant, a son of Abraham, being punished by the Roman government, a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of Messiah, just like we all are. We may not all be under the Mosaic Code. We're not. They were then. But we, like him, or in need of forgiveness. But notice how one criminal blasphemed and another said, look, we deserve what we're getting. Verse 41. So we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge fear before God, verse 40, and that we deserve death, Romans 6.23, and that Jesus did nothing wrong, and that we want Jesus to remember us that we wish to be forgiven by Jesus. And of course, from the book of Acts, we can learn, and the Great Commission is given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the conditions of salvation today, namely a faith that repents, confesses faith in Jesus as Lord, and is immersed into Christ. These are the conditions that a person must meet to become a child of God under the new covenant. We don't, again, don't look back to the old. But there are things about the penitent thief that we need to mimic, that we need to follow. We need to fear God. We need to know that we deserve death, but Jesus took our place, and the gift that he offers is eternal life, Romans 6, 23. And that Jesus did nothing wrong. He is the sinless sacrifice. He is our plea. It is his sinless sacrifice. Uh, 
his sinless life and sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God. And if I have the benefits of that sacrifice on my soul, I too can stand right before God. When I die, I'll go to paradise. And again, I've already mentioned in this episode what a person must do in order to enjoy that forgiveness. Now, on the front side, the beginning part, God sent His Son not because we were good, not because we did anything to deserve or merit it. That's what Titus 3, 4, and 5 is. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So it was according to God's mercy that He sent His Savior. It was not because of our righteous deeds that He sent His Son. It was because God loved us and He had mercy toward us. So because of His great love and His mercy, He extends grace And that grace can be enjoyed by those who are in Christ, who are in a covenant relationship with Messiah. And that's why Matthew 28 is so critical that we understand. Jesus said that we are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's not an oral formula that someone says, like hocus pocus, like a a certain word jargon when you baptize someone. That is an understanding. That is, you are, I am, to be baptized into a relationship, a covenant relationship with all three persons of the Godhead. And when I am, I enjoy forgiveness because forgiveness is in God and in Christ. Denominationalism teaches that we can follow examples of forgiveness, you know, in the Old Testament to be saved And they teach that we can follow examples in the Old Testament for exactly what we do today to worship God scripturally. But the gospel teaches, the pages of the New Testament teach, that we're to follow the examples of forgiveness, the instructions of forgiveness and worship that are recorded after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, starting at Pentecost and forward. And this covenant that we must live by will last to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. Folks, there's a striking contrast. And we can see that contrast when we open up the text and we seek to come to the text to learn, not to find what we already believe. I hope that this episode has been a benefit to you. If it has, if it's given you value, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Please share this podcast with others on social media, email, whatever format you can so that others will find it and they can check out other episodes that are available on my uh, podcast channel. Don't forget, Podbean, Spotify, and then I'll share it on Facebook also. So go on there. You can type in my name. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you found it. But if you're trying to help somebody else, you can go on there and you can click share. And then you can tell others, just search my name, Aaron J. Dodson Podcast, and you'll find me on Spotify and Podbean. Thank you so much for listening. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.